I, I want you to stand with me and let's go to the word of the Lord. I pray that you remember from last week that we were talking about prayer and how prayer changes things. How many know if you go to God first, it makes all the difference in the world? You can construct and you can build and you can decide and you can strategize, but we're going to learn today that Nehemiah prayed first, then he got the plan. And I wonder if maybe, as we've been talking about 30 hours, 50 hours, 300 hours of prayer commitments, I know that's huge. That's a big commitment. But I feel you should ask big things of the church of God. I believe that with all my heart. And so, Nehemiah made a big commitment to rebuild the walls. And we want to talk about that a little bit today. And he's known for rebuilding the walls, but really what he was rebuilding was worship. He was rebuilding worship. So let's look into the word of the Lord. Would you go to Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 1? I'll read from the Bible in the sky. In the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Yeah, th thank you, brother, for that, coughing on Hakaliah. <laughs> and it came to pass... <laughs> My ADs, ADD's kicking in today. And it came to pass in the month Chislu. That's between November and December on our calendar. In the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, which in my studies um, is like modern-day Iran area, that Hananiah, Hanani, I guess is how you'd say that, one of my brethren came, and he... And certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped. There was a remnant that went back to Jerusalem, and, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. He wanted to know, Nehemiah wanted to know what's going on with the people that went home. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity, there is the province are in great affliction. Everybody say great affliction and reproach. The wall of, Jerusalem's, of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. Have you ever wept over something before? And mourned certain days and fasted and prayed. That's the right response. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's the right response. He mourned, he sacrificed his food, he pushed away the plate, fasted, prayed before the God of heaven, and said, I beseech thee, O Lord of heaven, the great and terrible God, one translation said, awesome God, that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear be attentive. Everybody say, God hears you. And thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, both I and my father's house have sinned. He didn't mince any words. He said, it's us. I'm not blaming anybody. Hear me, O Lord. I'm taking credit, and I'm taking responsibility. We have dwelt we have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the judgments nor the statutes nor the, the, ju the commandments nor the statutes nor the judgments which thou commandeth thy, service, thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, 
the word thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress. Everybody say, remind the Lord. Seems very strange to have to remind a God that doesn't forget, doesn't it? But this is a prayer that works. This gets an answer from heaven. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if ye transgress, I will scatter you among the nations. Here it is. But if ye return unto me, Everybody say, turn unto the Lord. If you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, thou there were of you cast, though there were you, whew, let me start over, sorry. Though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I will have chosen to set my name there. I will bring you to a place that I have chosen to set my name there. Would you close your Bibles for a minute and just thank the God who knows how to gather people from all over, from every circumstance, from every trial, trouble, and tribulation. He knows how to gather them to a place where his name is great. Thank you, Jesus, for your word, for helping us as we walk through the struggles, the difficulties, and the triumphs of Nehemiah. I pray these people are excited about your word today. Put it in our hearts and let it live in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Amen, 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 amen. Sarah and I were listening to Jordan Peterson's Exodus. Anybody make their way through that slog fest? That's deep. So deep you have to wear hip waders. He's going through, and he's just twisting and turning and looking at all the different avenues of, and thought processes that could be there and applying psychology and applying original Hebrew through prayer. And then they're just, it's just an amazing thing. And he, and he began to talk about the fact that there's new technology coming out, new understanding coming out of the mind that whenever you say fake it till you make it, have you ever heard that? Fake it till you make it. There's been an attack on that recently, maybe last year or so. Don't fake it till you make it. That's not authentic. And we've lived in a church age now that's had about seven years of trying to be as authentic as they possibly can because God honors that, amen? God anoints authentic, real people. But he brings up something that you have to understand. He's coming from a different perspective. He said, when you fake it till you make it, like if you want something or a goal in life or you desire something from God and you begin to live toward that desire with everything in you, he said you at least become a version of that. Even if you don't reach the entire goal of what you're after, you become a greater version of than what you were just by stretching and reaching for it. Amen. So he said, you never lose energy or effort when reaching for things of God. And it's important that we understand that we're all going to deal with imposter syndrome somewhere in our life. Whether you feel like you're a leader or not, whether you are just a layman like Nehemiah was, he's not a king, he's not a priest, but he has a call on his life, he has a passion. And sometimes the stuff that bothers you the most is the stuff that God's calling you to change. Sometimes the things that are put into you as a passion are the things that God is going to use. You can pray all you want, change this or change that, but maybe God would change us so that we can change that, this or that, amen? 
And so God is helping us to understand that when you reach for things, you're going to feel like an imposter sometimes. You're going to feel like someone who doesn't know exactly what they should do. And Nehemiah was in the same exact spot. His heart was broken for his people in Jerusalem and Judea. And so he makes this reference about if you're, he does this Harvard analogy where he says, if you strive for the ideals of something, you actually rewire your brain if you want to become something. Now, of course, we know modeling. Everybody knows modeling. That's what parents do to children. We model in front of our children what, what is the proper right and, way to live, right and wrong way to live. So modeling is very strong, but he said something amazing happens with the human mind. You not only rewire your mind, but you rewire down to the cellular level and down to the epicellular level. In other words, you rewire your cells to be greater than you are, and you rewire the next generation because they're born with the greater that you built. I, wanna, I just want to preach to you for a little while on Nehemiah about building lasting change, amen? Building lasting change because the Bible says a long time ago in Proverbs, the wisdom writer said in 23 and 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So Jordan Peterson, guess what? You're just finding out and science is just catching up to Proverbs 23 verse 7, amen? We're just now finding out things in the word of God that were there all along that God built into us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, brothers and sisters. You need to get up every Every morning and thank God you took a breath because you're amazing. You're God's creation and you need to value yourself the way God values you. Amen. So the example is that he gives of if you say that you don't know if you're good enough to go to Harvard, but you want to and you're you're like, what, what am I doing here? And you have this imposter syndrome going on and, and you don't belong here and you have all of these thoughts going on in your mind like I, I'm not as smart as some of these other students. But if you apply yourself and you work hard and you connect with your teachers and you do your best and you just continue to work, you change your habits to be that of a Harvard student. And as you change your habits to be that of the student or the thing you want to be, you find that you are not just becoming something, but you actually become successful in it when others would have told you you're never going to be successful at that. You don't have the pedigree. You don't have the background. Your family doesn't have the mind strength to do something like that. You don't have the attention span to do something like that. You can have all of these things and, and think that you would not be successful, but if you will reach for it. If you will just reach for some stuff, God will help you to create habits and create processes and be able to be successful because you humble yourself into that success, driving at something, and you actually rewire your brain by doing the things that light up those ideals in you, that you literally want to become something, so you are providing the pathway for your brain to become that. And it proves it proves that your brain is actually very malleable. You can teach yourself stuff that others say that you can't become. You can become things. I, 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 think, I think the Lord that I know that the Holy Ghost helps us to become things we cannot become. You're not just fearfully and wonderfully made. When you get full of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost starts helping you become the sons of God. And so when you reach for things in God, God gives you the strength to do so. Amen? And he actually said that it affects your genetics down to the level, cellular level. 
actually there's shown in the genetics, he said, of your children in the future and in your kids, they will be smarter because of what you reach for. They will be stronger because of what you reach for. And you can build lasting change by doing physical things. And that's the story of the Bible, brothers and sisters. Uh, whenever you start preaching the Old Testament, people snooze and get out their fidget spinner and, <laughs> and whatever else, and they start checking their phones. And some people, we don't have the luxury to do that. We need God so bad in our life that we want every word from God that comes across the pulpit. We want to hear every possible thing God has to teach us because when we learn from the word of God, we learn to model it, and actions speak louder than words, brothers and sisters. So you want to take in everything that's coming in from the word of the Lord. You want to take in everything that the preacher or that your devotion can give you because what that does is create thoughts and thoughts create habits and habits and actions and actions create habits and habits create something that can model in your family that others look at and say, I want to be like that. But whenever you go through the Old Testament, sometimes it's a snooze fest. I get it. But history is his story. Amen? And so we have to understand if we don't have context, we will not understand the beauty of what Jesus did. And so how many know that God established Israel? Let me give you just a little bit of background. They wanted a king. They looked around and compared themselves to the other nations. It's never good to compare ourselves to one another, amen? But they did it. They got Saul, head and shoulders above the rest. He looked kingly, but it went bad because that wasn't God's plan. He wanted to be their king. But they chose a king, and when that went bad, God picked a little man named David, a little shepherd boy with a sling, became a conqueror, and eventually, God said, even with all the mess that he was, God said, but he's still a man after my own heart. You can make mistakes and still have a heart for God. Come on, somebody. You can have a heart that craves God so much that God looks upon the heart of your life and says, I know they're not perfect, but I love the heart that's in them. And he'll honor your heart's desires. Amen. So David gathers supplies to build God's temple, but he made some mistakes. And God said, no, there's too much blood on your hands, David. Your son's going to have to do it. And so he raised up Solomon. And David gets old, and he passes it on to Solomon. And he tells Solomon, you're, you're going to need to build the house of God. You're going to need to be faithful to God. And so Solomon is the wisest man they say ever known. He's the wisest man. In fact, people would come Everybody listen to this real carefully. People would come to watch him think. <laughs> How do you watch somebody think? Anybody seen somebody's brain? No. no. Well, apparently you can go watch Solomon think. Even, even the Queen of Sheba, which was the queen of Egypt and Ethiopia, some say that with the caravan that she brought balsam and she brought some other things from Egypt for them to be introduced to, but... The scripture says in 1 Kings 10, 6-7, she said to the king, the report I have heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Anybody here, one of those people that has to see it with your own eyes? Anybody one of those? It's okay. Indeed, not even half was told me. Not even the half was told. In wisdom and wealth, you are far exceeding the report I heard. But Solomon got distracted. Everybody say distracted. He started receiving wives from other places. Of course, that's what they did with kings when they made 
you know, alliances. They would sometimes give a bride. And Solomon started collecting wife after wife after wife. And, and then, of course, he had concubines. And if you don't know what a concubine is, you can ask Pastor Reese after service. He'll explain that to you. <laughs> He'll be here till 2 p.m. and I'll, I'll be eating something wonderful. <laughs> But he had all of these things happen, and of course, with all those wives came their pagan gods. And it began to affect the throne, and it became a problem. And of course, then it compromised what the people were. And even though Solomon was told to serve God, the God of his fathers from David, without a divided heart in Second, First Chronicles 28, 9. He said, as, as for you, David's telling him this, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart. David was saying, it's the heart that matters. I, I learned how to walk through everything I've been through in life just by having a heart that wants God and a heart that serves the people. He said, it's the heart that matters. Serve God without a divided heart is what he's saying. And be loyal to him. And with a willing mind, he said, for the Lord searcheth all the hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found. If you reach for him, he will be found, brothers and sisters. He will make himself available to you. I don't know what your goals and your aspirations are, but I'm after him with everything that's in me. I want what he wants for this world. I want his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that I still have the ability to seek his face when he calls upon me. Understand, he understands the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And if you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off. The God who knows how to gather, he said, when your heart's toward him, God will gather the resources. God will gather the needs of your life together. He will make sure everything is aligned perfectly. But if you turn your heart from him, he's a God who knows how to scatter as well. So Solomon started out good. But with the wines, with the wives and what one little boy said and the porcupines, the concubines, <laughs> Everything went south and trouble came and Solomon dies and Israel is split in two. Anybody still with me? Israel is split in two and now they have trouble because they have a pension for idolatry. And God says, if you're gonna run after idols, I'm gonna allow you to be scattered. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Bible says all these things will be That's the God who adds. When your heart goes after God, he will add to you. But if you take God off of the rightful place of the throne of your life and you put an idol there, he will say, I will let you run after the things that you're running after. 
He's a gentleman. He will not, sometimes he'll let you run and he'll let your heart go after things. You have to constantly turn your heart back to God. If things get broken down in your life, you have to rebuild them. You need a constant rebuilding mindset that if I see something in my life that's struggling or lacking, I need to put another brick there. I need to build another wall there. I need to put up the things that God told me to do. I need to do his precepts and live by his law and his words. I need to know that I'm living my life with a heart that's after God. And so the kingdom is split in two. The northern tribes are ruled by Jeroboam. Boam, the southern tribes by Rehoboam, and both turned to idols and false gods. And the northern tribe, of course, fell first to the Assyrians, and they're absorbed. They're scattered. They're absorbed into the culture. I want you to know that culture has a concept and a plan to absorb the things of God and disperse them. So if you are in a culture that comes against the things of God, no wonder. Their idea is if I can take it and I can break it, I can scatter it. But we need to stand up in a day in which we live and say, there are some, there are some things that are unbreakable, brothers and sisters. There are some things that are worth standing for, brothers and sisters. No matter who you are, I don't care if you're just a layman like Nehemiah, there are some things when they're broken down, you need to get on your knees, you need to fast, you need to talk to God and say, God, remember your promises. Remember what you do for your people and pray until it changes, amen? Pray until something happens. So the tribes are deported the southern tribe is deported to Babylon. He said, you got, you got idols? I'll let you be where idols are. I'll put you in the place where you have more idols than you can shake a stick at. So he puts them in Babylon, amen? For 70 years, they're surrounded with idols. And that's where the book of Daniel is written. And so then we know the story. Daniel was in Nebuchadnezzar's council, and he was in his his leadership, and then, of course, God humbled and turned Nebuchadnezzar to God, but he didn't pass the spiritual legacy on. Brothers and sisters, it is most important that we pass our spiritual legacy on. Why do we build? So that we can hand it off to the next generation, amen? We're not just coming to church this morning just to click, just to, to punch a card and say, I'm a Christian, I went to church on Sunday. We're building into the genetic makeup of our spiritual man, the ability to pass on a spiritual legacy to our kids. And we're building the things that need to stay up and we're tearing down things that need to come down. But he didn't pass it on to his son, his grandson, Belshazzar. And you guys probably know the story. You remember reading about Belshazzar. He mocked God. He went out of his way to mock God. You know the story. He drank the vessels that were set aside for worship of God. And then the hand showed up and began to write on the wall. I don't know what you'd do, but I'd probably be like in my car right now if a hand showed up on the wall. That's a little spooky, okay? But a hand showed up and said, you've been weighed in the balances and found lacking. And what he didn't know was right outside his kingdom waited King Cyrus and the Medo-Persian forces to take over. So Cyrus becomes king and he gives a decree to the Jews that they can return to Jerusalem, their home. And a wave begins of people to go home. First wave begins at 536 B.C. They return to Jerusalem. And this is not 
a pleasant trip, brothers and sisters. It's been destroyed. They have to rebuild. And so they oppose, they're opposed by the Samaritans, and they succeed in rebuilding the temple. That's important. If you're going to build anything first, build the temple. Amen? Build the temple, brothers and sisters. Not just a place of worship. Build the temple. And so 456 B.C., a second wave with Ezra, who was a, a priest. Everybody remember Ezra? You know Ezra? We'll call him Ez. <laughs> Old Ez, he was a priest. And upon revi revival and arrival, the people were actually in a state of spiritual decline at the time. And they had intermarried among the people of the cultures of that area and the pagan tribes. And if Ezra didn't do what he did and said, return to God, repent. And if the people had not repented, we wouldn't have a Jewish nation to this day. They would have been scattered and we would not even know. They would have just been lost in history. But they were God's people. So God brought a man to preach the word of God, and they turned around, and they did. Thank God they did, and they rebuilt the temple, but the walls were still in shambles. Everybody say, what about the walls? They started the job, but they didn't finish it. It's kind of like what I do when I start a project. <laughs> I have like zero handyman skills. I'm okay with them words, but I'm not okay with them tools. So I'll start a project, and because I don't have the skill sets, I can YouTube it, I can do whatever. But I'll get like halfway through it, and it won't be turning out like I see it on the video, and I'll just leave it. <laughs> and my wife's like, you going to finish that? And I'm like, yeah, I'll get back to that. You don't have to remind me every six months. <laughs> but God picks a man that's not a priest. He's a man who knows how to work with tools. He's a man who knows how to build. And in this story, you see one of the greatest examples of leadership in the scriptures. The greatest examples of how to build a team, how to work with people who are difficult, and how to work with people who want to work. The Bible says the people had a mind to work. There are some people that work more than others, amen? They'll just get there and show up. And they're like those folks that are blessed be, the, blessed be those that come in the name of the Lord. They're just happy to be there, happy to be working, and they will finish the job. Even though they're not in ministry, just like Nehemiah wasn't in ministry. I believe that everybody in here, hear me carefully, is in ministry. You're serving somewhere. And that is what ministry really is. It's serving. You can say, well, I, I don't, I'm not paid by a church. I'm not a preacher or a teacher. I, I, I work in the corporate world or I work in construction or I, I work on my job or I'm self-employed. I, I, don't, I don't do ministry, pastor. Oh, contraire. That's, uh, that's Latin for snails with garlic. No, that's escargot, right? Ministry simply is service or the use of your life to give God glory, serving people. And so Nehemiah was the right man at the right time in the right place. You can be the right woman at the right time in the right place. You can be the right child at the right time in the right place. You, God can use anybody, amen? So he was a cupbearer of King Xerxes, it's hard to say his name, Artaxerxes. Somebody help me out. Building lasting change was important to him because he knew that there was something broken down. And so he became not only just the cupbearer of the king, well, he would drink 
that's a good idea. He, excuse me for a minute. He would drink the king's cup, and whatever the king was going to drink had to go through Nehemiah's lips first. And if Nehemiah was poisoned, then of course the king would not drink it, and the king would be in need of a new cupbearer. And he would eat the king's food. And it really would be like kind of if you were to look at the president of the United States and, and you were to look at his chief of staff, something like that. If you wanted to get to the king, you had to go through Nehemiah. Is kind of the way it was. And that's my best comparison to that. So if you wanted to talk to the king, you needed to talk to Nehemiah and have it set up through Nehemiah. And Nehemiah took care of certain things. And so he was, the, he was attached to one of the largest and greatest powers in the world. He had a cushy job. Everybody say cushy job. It was an easy job. He could have stayed there. He didn't have to leave. He had a good. He's pulling down a hundred large easy. But he left it all for a good work. Amen. And I'll tell you even more. He left it all for a God work. And when God calls you to do something, don't ever stoop to a white house if God calls you to clean up broken rubble, amen? And God had called him to repair what was broken down, and it's tiring, and it's worrisome, and he wept, and he fasted, but God called him and made him the man to do the job. You are living a godly life. If you want to do godly things for people. But he wept over the status of his home. We need to be sure that we pray over the status of our homes. Amen. We need to pray over our children. The city was in distress. Nehemiah chapter 1. You see that verse 1 as we read. He's starting out saying things of where he was at and what he was doing. A lot of people feel like this chapter and these verses were kind of a biology or um, an autobiography that Nehemiah kept records. But when you get to looking at verse 9 and the prayer that he prays, <clears throat> you see that he's serious with God. But he's so overcome with this, Brother Antonio, that the king, he's, he's just holding the king's cup and the king notices something's wrong. And the Bible says fear came on Nehemiah because he knows the king can just swipe his hand and he's done. And he says, so, I'm so sorry. My heart is burdened. My land is destroyed. The tombs where my fathers were has been, the gates have been burned and the walls have fallen down. And the king says, what do you want to do? And if, if you jump into Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 5, you understand the greatest aspects of negotiation. Negotiation really has three axioms. Number one is the exchange of understanding your superiors. Now, some people are like, well, they do me wrong. They just abuse me on the job. They don't even care. I, I, I realize there's occasions like that. That's abuse. But whenever you're looking at getting something or negotiating something, you have to put yourself in the shoes of your boss or your superiors, and you have to look at what you're asking for, okay? And so this isn't a haphazard ask. He prays, and then he presents 
He prays, and then he presents. Everybody do that. He prays, get it from God. He prays, and then he presents. He's already thought this through. This isn't a haphazard moment. He's been praying and fasting and burdened, and he knows what he needs to do. So he presents and, and he looks at what his boss, he puts himself in his boss's shoes, and he said, oh, king, and he honors the king first. He honors his position first. And then number two, he has a favorable reputation. If you don't build a favorable reputation on your job, you will not be able to negotiate at the level you want to. So he has a favorable reputation he goes in early, he stays late, he makes the boss look good. Amen? If your servant has found favor, he said. So he looks at his king, he honors his position. Doesn't mean you have to like the king, brothers and sisters. Doesn't mean you have to like your boss. Hello, somebody, help me preach. But you have to honor the position first. Then you keep yourself in a favorable place if you can. And then, number three, he's precise about his ask. He says, here's the plan, here's my motive, and here's the timing it's going to take. If you are going to go into negotiation and you don't have your plan and you can't communicate your motive for doing that plan and the time it's going to take to have that plan, keep your... Yeah, just, just wait. Just wait, because you will not succeed in negotiations. So this is something that Nehemiah teaches us. He said, send me to Judah, the city of my father's tombs. And then some believe that the queen asked how long it's going to take, because it mentions that in the scripture, some scholars. But I, I don't know if it was the king or the queen that asked. But the queen is mentioned as sitting right next to the king. So some scholars believe the queen asked how long is that going to take. And he said, he gave them a specific time as to how long it's going to take. So he had planned this. Everybody say planned. He had planned it. He was administrating the process. And so God used him. And so he bets the farm, amen, as a way of saying it. He, he goes all in. He said, I'm going to need this, and I'm going to need letters to the governors outside this province so that I'm given safe passage. And so he wants to get safe passage. And oh, by the way, I'm going to need lumber and timbers, and I'm going to need supplies to rebuild what's broken down. Did you know that Nehemiah never thought to himself that he was going to have to come up with the supplies and the goods and all the stuff? He didn't look at the job and say, I've got to do that. He said, I've got to be used by God to do that. He said, I'll use the resources of a pagan king, and God will use the resources of somebody around you if you just learn to negotiate and you learn to say, I don't know how. I don't have it in my bank account. In fact, if your dreams are big, so small that you can pay for it, it's not a God dream. God will give you stuff too big for you. Everybody say amen. And so there's massive administration that he begins. Let letters be given to me for governors beyond. And he asks for lumbers and supplies. And the key to administration is the most effective. It's most effective when it's aimed at the essential needs of the project. 
understand. I know there's not people in here that need to hear how to run a department or how to run, but this is all in this book. This is good teaching. And you have to understand that when God gets ready to do a a work in people, he will often have you organize the physical things in your life before, as you're moving toward organizing the spiritual things in your life. Come on out of Egypt, Israel. What are we going to do? We're going to worship God. How are we going to do that? We're going to make sacrifice. And then what are we going to do? We're going to build a tabernacle. Physical things that represent spiritual things to us. And so what God does is he'll organize, start organizing your physical life so that he can rebuild your spiritual life. And so sometimes relationships change. Sometimes you have to manage things. Sometimes you have to administrate your own spiritual life and get down to the essential needs and go back to prayer and back to fasting and back to reading the word. I don't know how we're going to build this church any bigger than it is. I don't know how we're going to supply resources for what we need. But all I know is God's telling me, call the people to prayer. And next week, I'm going to call us all to fasting. You don't have to listen to me. I'm just telling you what I feel from the Lord. I'm going to ask you next week when I talk about the fasting part of Nehemiah that I'm going to ask you to go on fasts, not this coming week, but the following week. If that won't work, start fasting right now. (laughs) But what you have to understand is we have to focus on the important things, and I'm trying to close. I've got more notes to speak on next week. But understand this. If you are going to administrate your spiritual life, you have to learn to focus on what's important and what's most important. It doesn't help anybody if the deck hand on a boat is organizing the swab, the deck brushes by size and order when the boat is being attacked by pirates. You can be a busy worker. Can I say this stuff as a pastor? You can be a busy worker and miss the point. We can be a busy church and miss the point. We can be a busy people and miss the point. God help us to keep prayer and fasting and Bible reading in our life so we can stay on point. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, stay on point. Stay on point. I know we need to build fences and we need to sell houses and we need to switch out cars because one's old and need a new one. I know we have all that going on, but the hardest thing you can do is to live your life busy and get to a point where you realize you weren't focusing on the main things. We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, brothers and sisters. I feel like Balaam right now, bro, from Wednesday night, clapping while I say it. (laughs) Thank you, Brother Reese, for a great lesson on Balaam and Balak. You got to keep the main thing, the main thing. Thank you, T.F. Tenney. A lot of people don't appreciate what administration does. Mamas, are you in this room? Let me tell you something. If you are doing a good job as a mama, your reward is they don't appreciate you. If you're doing a good job, sometimes the reward is you're not appreciated because they don't know how much you've invested. They don't know how much time it takes and how much frustration. And some of us are in that place, and you can blame whatever you want, but you know what they say. When you point a finger, there's three pointing back at you. Amen? 
So you can say, God, change them. God, help my wife. She doesn't understand how much I work. I work so hard. Or you can say, God, change my husband. He doesn't understand how much it takes to run these kids. Or God, would you just change my kids? They're a mess. They want so much. They don't appreciate all the time we invest in them. And you can do all that or you can turn it around like Nehemiah. And he said, we have sinned. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where I can point to great sin on Nehemiah's behalf. But he took the responsibility of the nation upon himself. That is leadership, brothers and sisters. When something happens in this church and something's not going right, and I talk to the team, I tell them it's my fault. I do everything I can to say, no, it's my fault. I'll take blame for it. Because I want the responsibility to be shared among the team, but I want them to know that the result is after God. We're looking to God. And so there's sometimes a need for us to spend time with God so that we can handle the load. And we need to start praying, not change them, Jesus, but change me, Jesus. Take responsibility for it and say, change me, Jesus. Your life is no good if you live it like the game, pin the tail on the donkey. Pin the tail on the donkey is a good party game, but it's not good for your marriage, your bank accounts, and raising your children, okay? Can't just, I think it's going to work. Oh, they came out okay. It doesn't work like that. You have to be diligent. And so next week, I'll deal with the perception. Verse 9 through 10 of chapter 2, I'll deal with you need to be perceptive, and then I'll deal with the fact that you need to have discretion, and then I'll deal with the fact that you need to prepare presentation in your life. You need to put a bow on it, amen? When you're going to present something, you need to have it prepared. And then I'm going to talk about conflict management because all of us, no matter where you are, are going to deal with conflicts, people against people. You need to learn how to deal with conflict management. Your children are going to fight. They're going to get into it. Amen? You have to deal and go sit in that corner. You go sit in that corner. Amen? You got to figure out a way to deal with conflict management. And then next week, of course, I'm going to deal with patterns that you need to get a call from God first. And then you need to get the assets in place. And then you need to build your team. It's important. And then chapter 3, we're going to spend some time talking about the consistency that's needed for success. Would you stand with me today? I know there's some leadership in this, and there's some aspects that maybe we don't necessarily feel are what we need right now. But I'm... I'm telling you, if you, if you'll bag this lunch and take it home, there's going to be a need or a calling on your life somewhere, whether it's your children, whether it's the employees that you employ, whether it's the leadership that you or the job that you do, you're going to understand that there's a gravity that comes from the Word of God that seeps down into every area of your life. And when you take even the lessons from Nehemiah, and even if you don't need them right now, you let that Word grab push its way down by the gravity of grace into your life, it will set a foundation that you can build on and you will feel more confident in God as you walk with him because you know he's the one that's doing all the rebuilding. Amen? Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I want to keep the main thing the main thing. I know there's others that are busy. I know we have busy times and seasons, but 
And I'm not coming against that. I'm, I'm saying, what if we just keep you first and foremost in our mind and hearts? What if we say, I'm not going to have my stuff scattered anymore. I'm going to ask God, would you just do this together? Would you just ask, ask God to gather you in? Would you pray that today? Would that be a prayer that we can end this sermon with in this service? God, we're going to commit to prayer. We're going to commit to putting you first. Lord God, we want to go from acquaintance to friend with you in 30 hours. Lord, we want to go from friend to best friend with you in 50 hours. God, we want to go from best friend to intimate partner, intimate lover with you in 300 hours. So we're going to commit to prayer again. And God, maybe in this moment, we can remember that you are the God that builds all things well. And if we just put a brick up and we put another mortar on top and put another brick on that of prayer, maybe you'll build back the barriers that need to be in place to keep us in your perfect will. I'm asking that somebody has a gather me home prayer and a gather my home prayer today. In Jesus' name. If you want God to gather the things that have been scattered in your life, would you say amen? Why don't you come to this altar and say, Jesus, all that I have is yours. Would you open your hearts to God and make a way down here and just open your hands and heart and just say, God, all I have is yours. I've had you on the throne of my life and just re-examine and make sure that he is truly seated high and lifted up in your life. If you're joining us online, would you just take a moment in your living room or bedroom and just lift your hands and say, Jesus, would you remember all the things you've promised? Would you remember all the moments that you gave me word? I stand on your promises. Come on, lift your hands and say, I stand on your promises. I make you my Lord and my God. Put all the things that are trying to fall apart back together again. Gather home the prodigal. Gather home the family. Gather home the scattered finances. Gather home the scattered needs. Gather home the scattered health, Lord God. Bring health to our bodies and our hearts. Gather home those that are lost outside these walls, God. We build today in prayer. We build today in prayer. There's a sweet touch of God in this room for those that want to say, God, you're first. If your kids are near you, pull them close. If your kids are by you, pull them close. Take them by the hand and say, we're going to put God first in my home. We're going to put God first in my life. If I got to move some things out of the way, if I got to petition for resources, if I have to go through some different channels, I'm going to still go and build those walls. I, I know it's not easy to be a mom that's up and tired in the middle of the night. I know it's not easy to be a dad running kids to school on your way to work. I, I know that's not easy, but you're building something for the next generation. You're building walls that will stand, that it's a God project and nobody can speak against it because you're building what God wants you to build in your life by putting him first. Somebody call on the name of the Lord. Somebody reach out to the God who's got an empty tomb. Somebody reach out to the God who can restore all things.
and let him rebuild us again. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let your voice out. Let your voice out in this room. Reach for him right now. Some of you are going to rewire your future by reaching for him right now. God, we have goals in you. God, we want you more. You're the God of more. We lean in today. Help us rebuild. Help us rebuild again. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. The only one who could ever save. Worthy of every so thankful. we could ever breathe. Let a thankful prayer go up in the house of a God who knows how to rebuild it. Thank you, Jesus. There's no one like you, Jesus. There's no one like you, Jesus. No one like you, Jesus. Holy, there is no one. Come on, sing it out, somebody. Sing it as a prayer and put him on the throne high and lifted up. Open up my eyes and wonder, God. You're awesome, God. You're the only God who deserves the title of awesome. Lead us. Lead my family. Help me to lead on the job. Help me to lead in my life. Help me to serve God. Help me to serve God. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever We live for you. We live for you, Jesus. We live for you. 